Yeah, Dan from the Dan and Joe Sports Show. Uh, talking about uh, this pick that the Saints had, on the defensive end, you're right, Joe. I mean, they already had Marcus Davenport. They already had Cam Jordan. Yeah, you're losing Trey Hendrickson. But to me, that's a position where you're already pretty strong, and you never want to go first round where you're just trying to shore up a little depth. What you need to do in the first round is when you really need a playmaker and someone that could be a starter right off the bat. And, Joe, that's not even guaranteed this guy's going to go out there and start. Meanwhile, with losing Janoris Jenkins, you needed a cornerback. We really need wide receiver help right now. I mean, Thomas is the only guy that we have. He is the only known commodity there. And this was a wide receiver draft that was full of so much talent. I mean, it was it was everywhere. You know, I mean, you had, uh, of course, uh, you know, Devontae Smith. You got Slim Reaper. You got uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, you had uh, Jamar Chase. I mean, it just, it just goes on and on, this list of people that you could have gotten at wide receiver. And shoot, you want to go to the very end of the draft. The Broncos got Seth Williams with the sixth-round draft pick. I mean, there's there's talent galore in this. And the Saints don't address wide receiver until the seventh round when, I mean, I'm from Mobile and everything, but a South Alabama receiver, not super excited about that one. I mean, it just it made no sense. I mean, they better have some real plans for free agency because this is going to be a depleted wide receiving core that uh, Jameis Winston is going to be throwing to this year. You're going to have the same problem that you've had in the past, and that's Alvin Kamara is going to be kind of your number two receiving threat. And that's just not a recipe for success in the playoffs because teams tend to lock down on Michael Thomas and take him out of the game. So given what the Saints did, you're basically relying on Traquan Smith to continue to get better and really be the number two option at receiver on the team. Yeah. You know, instead of probably third or fourth like you expect him to probably be. And then you have little Jordan Humphrey and Marquez Callaway and also, um, what's his name, the uh, um, Harris, Deion Harris, the uh, return man. You're banking on those guys emerging as like significant contributors to the wide receiver position if you don't do anything else. I hope that they have something up their sleeve to maybe bring in on the veteran wide receiver. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean – if not, then I consider this a highly wasted draft because, like I said, there were so many opportunities to go out there. And you look at it, I mean, there were some really good receivers available in the third round. Terrace Marshall of LSU, I think he got drafted in the third round. That guy's a game changer. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I mentioned Seth Williams going in the sixth round earlier. Uh, I mean, you had Rager from, uh, from TCU. There were some guys that really dropped down. I think Sha Smith is a, is a good little scat back type wide receiver that he didn't go till about the fourth round. And all of these guys went and they never addressed it. I mean, and, you know, I guess they kind of addressed the quarterback position by getting, uh, you know, I was about to say Brady Quinn, but, you know, going out and, and getting, uh, you know, the Notre Dame quarterback, which is, is good. I mean, I, I think he's a solid backup type guy, but, I don't know, man. Do you ever see him starting in the NFL? No, I really don't. And I thought that to use a fourth-round pick on him did not really make a whole lot of sense. To me, if you wanted to address the quarterback position, go a little bit higher, maybe get somebody in the second or third round. I don't know. It, it, it kind of the way, This is the way I, I would evaluate it. 
So it's not so much me critiquing the positions that were drafted. Like when you look at it on paper, they got a receiver. They got an offensive lineman. They got a pass rusher. They got a linebacker. They got a quarterback. They got a cornerback. But they got him out of order is the issue. They yeah. got him out of order of right. where I would have drafted him and got like players to me that you know, I think you would agree with this are weaker at the biggest positions of need. Exactly. I mean, you know, I've talked about many times how much I like uh, Kyle Trask as a potential draft pick. Well, who got him? Somebody that's been doing some really smart picks all over the place lately, and that was Tampa Bay. I mean, Kyle Trask getting to go and learn behind Tom Brady. What a great situation that is. And, I mean, that could be ultimately a huge value pick at the very bottom of the second round. And that was a place that I thought maybe the Saints could look and get a quarterback would be the second round. They could have had a Kyle Trask. They could have had him in the second round. And they didn't go and get him. And meanwhile, they they reached to, you know, to get who they did in the fourth round. And I think you probably could have had him later on, actually. It's crazy how the Buccaneers have suddenly looked brilliant with their drafting ever since Tom Brady arrived. I mean, this is a team that used to always swing and miss and look bad doing it. And then last year they get Tristan Wirfs. This year, you know, they get Kyle Trask. Also got some linebacker help in the first round. I mean, they, they just look smarter and smarter with their association with Tom Brady. Yeah. And, you know, they, they even did a good job at the end of the draft, too. They got K.J. Britt in the fifth round, who I think is a really solid linebacker from Auburn. I mean, he's a four-year uh, graduate. He played, started for two years. He was the solid backup for two years. Really good leader. And he probably would have yeah. been a third-round guy if he hadn't gotten injured this year. And that's the kind of guy that's a really good depth builder. So even in the fifth round, they're getting somebody that probably was like a day-two guy, third-rounder normally. So, I mean, it was just some smart picks like across the board. And I'll tell you what I thought was the most interesting pick the entire night, and this is what really got my, like, wheels turning on something that's going to happen uh, with Aaron Rodgers, is when you saw the Broncos – uh, trade up to go and take uh, to go and take the cornerback out of Alabama when it was going to be falling right to the Cowboys. I mean, that was you know Patrick Sertan going to the Broncos was the most interesting pick to me of the entire first round. Sertan is he's a great player. I mean, he's an excellent lockdown corner. I think he's going to be a great player in the league. But all you had heard about for six months was. Man, Jerry Jones loves him some Patrick Sertan. Jerry Jones, that's the only player he wants is Patrick Sertan. You're about it over and over again. And then all of a sudden, the Broncos trade up. And just right before the Cowboys are going to get Patrick Sertan to take him. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, you know, Sertan's a great player. He's going to help out anybody he goes to. And he probably will get to be the starter for the Broncos. But the Broncos were a team that desperately needed a quarterback. They desperately needed offensive help. And so for them to see Sertan as the best player on the board just makes me think that this Aaron Rodgers, the, the Broncos thing, must be all but signed. I think there's a good chance. You know, I've heard a lot of people compare it to um, Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay because you have a very talented roster. you got Jerry to Judy. you got a lot of good players on defense. I mean, this roster looks like it's tailor-made for Aaron Rodgers to come to the Broncos and you know, watch out. The AFC West suddenly becomes ultra-fascinating if you have Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in the same division. 
But what I would say about Aaron Rodgers is I'll still believe it when I see it if he's playing for another team. Because I feel like I've heard it for several years now that he's going to flirt with going elsewhere, and I just haven't quite seen it happen. And obviously this year, you know, it's it seems to be more um, speculation about it than ever. But there's still a part of me that it's hard for me to imagine him actually leaving Green Bay. I know, Joe, but, you know, uh, this stat that got put out there the other night, like I couldn't look away from it. The, in the last in, – in, you know, I guess Aaron Rodgers has been the starting quarterback now for the Broncos for 15 years. And I think it's the last 10 years there's only been one draft where the Packers went with an offensive player in the first round yeah. and that an offensive skill position player. And that was last year when they selected Jordan Love. And to me, that is a that is an upsetting fact right there. And this year, with all of the, the, the fluff that's out there about Aaron Rodgers not being happy, they went and stuck it to him even further by drafting a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> you know, like they obviously don't care about making him happy at all. Mm-hmm. No, I, no, I think that that point is, is well taken. Uh, there's just something about, I guess, the, the Green Bay franchise that, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of players get drafted there and tend to stay there. So I guess there's something about him in Green Bay that it, I would still, as, as much as speculation as we're hearing, I still a part of me would be surprised to see him leave. Well, Joe, you got another factor out there, too. Uh, he's about to get married to Shailene Woodley, who, of course, is a top ten actress in the world right now. I'm a huge Shailene Woodley fan. And I'm going to go ahead and say that Green Bay is probably not a place that she wants to spend a whole lot of time. She's an L.A. person. She's, you know, big into Hollywood. I know, obviously, she wouldn't have to live with them. But you got to think that somewhere like Broncos getting out to Denver where you're a lot closer to L.A., Andrew in more of a hub area, makes a lot of sense from his new relationship standpoint, too. No, that, that, that's a good point. Um, the final couple things I'll say about it is um, I have heard some conspiracy theories that he's doing this to um, um, get an extension, a lucrative extension from the Packers. That's a conspiracy theory out there. But um, the other thing I will say is that regardless of what happens, I do hope personally that this is the end of this story one way or another. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit tired. of it. I feel like every offseason the last three or four years, it's like how much longer is Aaron Rodgers going to be in Green Bay? I feel like they need to either you know mend things or he just needs to go elsewhere. I agree. I mean, it, it is starting to get kind of a tiresome story. Um, you know, I was very interested to see the 49ers go up to get Trey Lance because I was really thinking that, that was a place that – uh, would have made a lot of sense for Aaron Rodgers with him playing at Cal. I mean, I think he grew up like in San Francisco. And like I said, with the, with everything with Shailene Woodley, that would make sense, you know, even more so San Francisco, even than the Denver. And so, I mean, I thought the Trey Lance pick was, was very interesting to me. I mean, that was one that, you know, everybody kind of was starting to predict towards the end. But it's just, it's really hard for me to justify getting rid of a quarterback that you have and that's had as much success um, as what you've had, you know, with the guy you have right now to go out and get Trey Lance because uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy who's been in a Super Bowl. 
He did a great job when he was, when he was backing up for Tom Brady. And if you look at the stats, it's something like they're 24-8 and eight when he's a starting quarterback. So when he's out there, he does really good. And I just don't know that going for a completely unproven commodity, a guy who started one season of D2 college football, and, and by that I mean D2 college football where his team is infinitely better than every team they play. And he did like one game this year. You're going to go number three over him over someone like Jimmy G, who's a proven commodity. I, I didn't really understand that pick. I thought it was kind of stupid. Well, the puzzling thing about it is that they seem to really like Lance's potential, obviously, and think, you know, that he could be just such a versatile player in their offense under Kyle Shanahan, who's worked wonders in the past with quarterbacks like RG3 and also Matt Ryan had his MVP season under his tutelage. But what worries me about it for the 49ers objectively is that they're kind of in a window to make it to a Super Bowl now because two years ago they were in the Super Bowl. They have a lot of talent on this roster. By bringing in a rookie quarterback, if he you know eventually wins the job or starts at some point next season, I feel like that kind of takes them a step back because it would probably take him a year or two before he'd be ready uh, maturity-wise to get them to a Super Bowl. And at that point, you know, there's too much roster shakeup in the NFL year in and year out. You know, the window is so tight. And then also you add in the factor that you're still paying Jimmy Garoppolo a very high price to be your backup under that scenario unless you can move him for somebody else. And so there's a lot of factors about it that, that puzzle me. Um, if I was the 49ers, I would not have traded up to get Trey Lance. Right. I think they moved up from like for 12 to number three. You're basically uh, hoping that he's going to be a generational talent to make that type of lead. Yeah, when you draft a guy in the top three, you're expecting four to five Pro Bowls at the very least. And that's, that's what you're asking for right there. And that's on the lower end of what you would want. I mean, of course, you draft a quarterback at number three, you're hoping it's a Hall of Famer. But in terms of, like, your average value, you're getting what you paid for. You want at least four to five Pro Bowls. And I just – I don't know. I, I'm concerned about that pick. I think they would have been much better off to stay where they were and gotten Mac Jones because you know what Mac Jones is great at? He's great at sitting behind people and learning. And so – you know what, even if you got Jimmy Garoppolo back to his former glory and he started doing good for a couple years, you could have Mac Jones mature in your system, learn, and then he can go out and do what he's done, which has been very consistent and, and be a really good teammate and put the ball right where he needs to and hit those deep passes. And going with that, I love the pick of the Patriots at 15 getting Mac Jones. And that's just like a match made in heaven to me. And I think it's even better because – you give Cam Newton a little bit of a chance to go out and, and maybe have a good season or maybe even two good seasons, and you have a guy that's behind them that if somehow Cam does get it back, you have the best quarterback you could possibly get in this draft to sit behind someone and learn. And so I thought it was just a really great pick right there. Yeah, we're going to have you know Tom Brady face off against Bill Belichick this next season. And Belichick, you know, was not happy with that six and ten finish last year. They revamped the roster. They spent heavily in free agency, and now they're bringing in Mac Jones to try to see if they can return to the playoffs. You know, this year with either he or Cam Newton as the starter. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just brilliant. I mean, you know, Belichick got his guy for the future, which maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe two years down the road, he didn't have to trade up to get him. I mean, he just fell right to him. And a guy that I think ultimately will be a good pro. I think Mac Jones has got a great arm, and he just seems like a good dude. I mean, I 
hate to say that as an Alabama player, but he just he's a, he's a really likable guy. I think he ended up in a great place for himself. Yeah, I think so. Uh, um, you know, in terms of something else I noticed in this draft, I saw I thought reaching for for stories. Like in my mind, why would the Bengals draft Jamar Chase? That was probably one of the, that was almost as stupid as the Saints pick. Uh, what happened to Joe Burrow last year, Joe? Do you, do you remember? I, I, I vaguely remember that he tore his ACL because his offensive line was atrocious. Okay, how does Jamar Chase help with that at all? Yeah, yeah it's just a feel-good story. You know, fantasy football, um, pure uh, enthusiasts may be excited about the offensive number potential, but if you don't have an offensive line, you're just not going to go anywhere in this league. No, you're not. And, I mean, that's cool. They were buddies at LSU, and, you know, Jamar Chase had 1,800 yards receiving under Joe Burrow's whirlwind Heisman season. But if Joe Burrow has no time to throw it to, the story's not going to be that great if Jamar Chase ends up having 500 yards receiving because Burrow's getting harassed all day, every day. I just, I hate, I hated that pick, especially when Panay Sewell was there. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that was one of the, the low ones for me. I'll tell you one that I did love, though, on the list of getting, uh, getting former teammates together, uh, the Slim Reaper to the Eagles was an awesome pick. I think Devontae Smith is a very useful wide receiver, especially for Jalen Hurts. Because the thing about Smith that's so good is you can use him as your down-the-field guy. He's good at possession. You can also use him in the slot, too. And I think for someone like Hurts, who still hasn't quite developed into a great passer, he's improved a lot. Having a slot-type receiver that you can get to inside of five to ten yards off the line of scrimmage is very helpful, and I think that might be the way they want to use Devontae Smith. I can certainly see that. I mean, he can get open against anybody, you know, even when he's double-teamed, like at Alabama. So, yeah, I think that's going to work out well. And I was also, you know, pleased to see them give uh, Jalen Hurts another chance and not just, you know, overreach for for a quarterback to give him competition. No, because, I mean, I thought if you look at what Jalen Hurts did last year, I mean, he beat the Saints in his first start, looked really good. And I thought in most of the games he played, I don't think that he made any mistakes that really cost him. And, you know, that was, that was, that was pretty smart. And then, you know, I thought the, the, the Dolphins made some really solid picks. I like them getting Jalen Waddle. I think Waddle is going to be an excellent player in the NFL. Um, and then, you know, I think they, they came in at the end and they got uh, – who else did they get they, – they got another, like, I thought, uh, offensive player at the, kind of the end of the first round, I think. I can't remember. But, you know, uh, speaking of the, the teammates thing, how about the Jags going, and, of course, we knew they were going to get Trevor Lawrence number one, but at the very end, going in and getting the Travis Etienne at the very end of the first round, too, and then you're just reuniting Clemson players. Yeah, that was pretty crazy um, because I left the room for a few minutes when they before they did that trade, and so that would really surprise me. That would surprise me too because I like Etienne, but I really didn't think that he was going to get selected in the first round. I thought he was probably no. more of an early second round guy, and and I've really you know I've kind of switched to a guy who doesn't like to draft running backs in the first round anyway. I think Najee Harris is great. I mean, he can do everything. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he really does have, like, every skill set you want to run back. I wouldn't even take Najee Harris in the first round. Well, let me ask you this question, because I think I know the answer. 
If he did not have the connection as a former Lawrence teammate, do you think the Jacksonville Jaguars selected him in the first round? No. I think they did that for the story, too. I mean, why didn't they, why did, why did they sign Tim Tebow when I was a tight end? They really think he's going to start as a tight end in the NFL? No, it's part of the story. Speaking of that, what are your thoughts on the Tim Tebow story? I think that it's just that. It's a story. I think it's made for TV. Uh He's 33 years old. He hasn't played in the NFL in, what, five years. Uh, he, you know, he's a guy that's – he's obviously he's a great athlete. I mean, that's why he made it as far as he did in baseball. He's great in the locker room. I kind of think that maybe Urban Meyer just wants to bring him in because he knows he can help with some of the players. But the biggest thing is, is Jacksonville, they have an issue, and that's fan attendance. They've always been – really the lamest team in the NFL when it comes to fan attendance. I mean, shoot, they, you know, during COVID, it didn't look any different than it did before for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now you bring Sunshine in, he's a magnanimous quarterback, fantastic, good-looking, he's going to bring in a crowd. And then you got the Clemson base, go ahead and bring in Etienne. There you go. Now you got, like, double up on that. Uh, and then now let's bring in the local. Who's from Jacksonville? Tim Tebow is. So, I mean, it's all about propping it up. And the guy who runs the Jags now is more of a businessman than they've ever had before. Sam Kahn is, you know, he's a billionaire. And so I, I think that this is the plan to really start getting more eyes on the screen. And so I don't necessarily think that you'll ever see Tim Tebow score a touchdown as a receiver for the Jags. Yeah, I mean, to all your points there, I think that's very well said. I would add, too, that, I think that it's fascinating how the most irrelevant franchise quickly became the most relevant you know, in a small market. That, that's really intriguing. But one of my theories on this move, Dan, is it could possibly be a way to deflect pressure away from Trevor Lawrence with everybody talking about him. Because now we're talking about Tim Tebow and we'll continue to focus more about Tim Tebow. And so it allows Trevor Lawrence to kind of breathe again and focus on his development and not have to deal with the normal pressure that a generational talent would have coming into training camp. Well, Joe, here's, uh, I think that's a, that's a smart point right there. You put like another big media story out there, take a little bit away from your quarterback that probably has more pressure on, on, on him coming in than anyone since Peyton Manning. I think he's got even more pressure than Andrew Luck did. I, th- I think so. Yeah, I, think so. I mean, I, uh, since Peyton Manning, and I ba- barely remember this when I was younger, I can never remember a quarterback having this much hype coming from the NFL. I mean, Luck had the pressure having to follow Peyton Manning, I think, that added to the equation. But I think that Lawrence, everybody's looking at him as like that um, like that Zion Williamson-type pressure or LeBron James-type pressure. When, kind of yes. more like LeBron James when he came into the league. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's fair. I think Zion and, and LeBron might be a better comparison there. Um, you know, one thing that I, that I was going to say, talking about pressure, Joe, uh, you're Brian Harson in Auburn. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're Scott Frost in Nebraska. Uh, some programs that didn't have very good drafts that are kind of like classic-type programs are Texas. Uh, how does it feel to know that, the day after the first round of the draft, Northwestern had two guys drafted in the first round and you had nobody. I mean, that 
that was a hard thing for me to watch right there that Auburn didn't get a guy till I think it was the third round before they had a guy get drafted. And Northwestern had two first-round draft picks. Yeah. No, that, you know, speaks volumes for just the changing landscape of, you know, the league. And you think about, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you'd be surprised to hear about, you know, two or three first-round picks for Clemson. Right. So it just kind of shows you how the league changes. And then the other thing I have noticed with the NFL, more so than the NBA, you do see a lot of guys from smaller colleges have success at the next level. And, and that seems to me to be one reason you see a lot of those guys picked in the early rounds. Well, Joe, and, you know, because we're the most biased show, I do have to mention, I thought one of the biggest uh, draft drop-offs and shocking where he ended up was Elijah Moore. That was another guy the Saints could have had. They could have had Elijah Moore right there. And that's a big-time playmaker. But, of course, they thought they needed a defensive end. Um, more than they needed, uh, you know, a big-time wide receiver. But that, that one shocked me. And you can tell that uh, Mel Kuyper was kind of upset about it, too, that Elijah Moore did not go until the second round. Yeah, he would have been a perfect fit for the Saints to replace Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah. Yeah, that one was disappointing. Well, Joe, kind of leading into what we're going to talk about during our locker room talk, we've got a couple other stories. Uh, is first, going to stick with Ole Miss, DK Metcalf, who's just an incredible athlete, which we've known. I've known since I watched him in high school when I was in law school at Ole Miss. I watched him play at Oxford High School. You knew that he was big. You knew that he had a great possession. But his speed has always been something that's kind of been underrated. I mean, you knew it was there. But seeing him compete in those Olympics, uh, Olympic tryouts, and him running a 10-3-40, I mean, that is nuts for a guy that is as big as he is, at two, like six foot four, 235 pounds. I mean, he really is an incredible athlete. He really is. And he's just gotten better and better. Because what blows me away when I look back at that recruiting class in 2016, I feel like we all knew how good we thought he could be those that follow Ole Miss football really closely. I think we even read a lot about him or heard a lot about him when we were working at Rebel Radio. Um, you know, people were talking about his dad playing, you know, in the NFL, Terrence Metcalf. But the um, recruiting um, prognosticators had him only as a four-star recruit. And ESPN had him as the 40th best wide receiver in that 2016 class. That's absolutely something I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. Those, I wonder if those guys still have jobs after writing like writing that out. That's insane. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that's, like, crazy about it is, you know, I think everybody thought he was kind of going to embarrass himself a little bit in that. He didn't even finish in last place with, like, real guys that were competing for the Olympics, and that's, like, all they've ever done was train for that. So, really fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of Olympic sprinters, like one of the the first Auburn player got drafted, I thought was kind of interesting was uh, Anthony Schwartz going to the Browns. And I really want to see, you know, he could be a very useful weapon for the Browns. They're kind of spreaded out offense with Baker Mayfield. If he can learn to catch the ball a little bit better, that's a guy that you might see do the DK Metcalf thing and might be a receiver who actually can make the Olympics because uh, Schwartz, nicknamed as Flash, is a guy who's been a junior Olympic sprinter and holds multiple Florida state records for sprinting. Yeah, I think he would have a decent chance. Yeah. Um, 
and you know the last thing that we kind of have like you know moving into uh the next show is uh bo jackson who's going to be brought up later on uh they played the region's uh classic in birmingham and it was really cool he gave uh, a little kid at a lemonade stand that uh for children's of alabama hundred dollars because their lemonade was the best lemonade he'd ever had in his entire life. It's kind of a cute, cute little story. Yeah, absolutely. And then Joe, we also have to mention too, like sadly the tragic passing of Cole Brennan, which I mean, you know, for those of us who remember that prolific 2007 Hawaii offense, I mean, guy was one of the best college quarterbacks you've ever seen in that season. He really was, and I remember that was my senior year of high school in 2007, and I just remember like closely following um, just about every game of that year for Hawaii, and with that being back in the BCS era, I feel like they kind of became a national story, like some of those Boise State teams as well, to find out whether they'd go undefeated and make it to a BCS Bowl, and I know they got throttled by Georgia in that Sugar Bowl that year, 41-10, to but... Hawaii went 12 and 0 that year. The year before that, 2006, uh, Colt Brennan threw 58 touchdown passes, a record that stood until Joe Burrow broke it just a couple of years ago with LSU. So I just um, will always remember, for nostalgic purposes, that Hawaii team. Since you know I was in high school and just kind of, you know, it seemed larger than life for me back then. But then when I look back, I really do objectively think that was one of the cooler stories I can remember in college football. Yeah, it was. And then when Alabama created a bowl game for themselves when they were on probation, they went out and got thrashed by that Hawaii team, and that was great to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of great things to watch, glad that you watched us tonight, and you could see us for one more locker room talk that we're coming around the corner. As always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Jeff.